We are wrapping up Revelation today. We are in Revelation 22, verses 6 through 21. But all throughout history, what we have to pay attention to is this, is that God has been inviting you and I to come and follow him. Through the beginning, in the garden, God wanted to dwell with his people. When we sinned and we were separated from him, God, in all throughout the thread of the Bible, has been inviting us to have a relationship with him and to follow him. I just wanted to reference a few scriptures just to share that. Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the water. And you will... um, And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. So there's an invitation, come to me, come to me. And you know what the best part is? It's free. Come at no cost. Come to me, come to me. Matthew 4, 19. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for my people. Come, follow me. There was this interesting um, just snippet that I'll share um, that I shared in um, our prayer group this morning. Many people, um, and this is all free, might not even have anything to correlate with this. It's just, it's really important for us to understand this. I heard this worship leader say this week that um, Jesus doesn't call us to be astronauts or presidents or nurses or teachers or pharmacists or physical therapists or stay-at-home moms, whatever. Jesus doesn't call us to that. Jesus calls us to follow him. Where in the Bible does he ever call someone to be a doctor? Jesus says, come follow who? Me. So our job and what we are supposed to do is to come follow him. Amen? So some of the things of what am I going to do with my midlife crisis or what am I going to do with my life for those who are graduating or those who have retired, what am I going to do with my life? Follow him. Amen? Answer that invitation. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. An invitation to follow him. Mark 10, 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Even in this series, Revelation 3, 20, here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. And they with me. Jesus is saying, I'm knocking on your door. Receive that invitation. But last but not least, in this um, last chapter, 22, verse 17. 
the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes, take the free gift of the water of life. There's an invitation from the beginning of time. And there's an invitation until the last day of earth for people to come follow Jesus. And these are Jesus' last words. These are the last words of the Bible. And what's really important is we should always consider the last words of people. That's why there's been some graces that have been offered. Are there any last words? Do you guys remember the tombstone commercial, the pizza back in the mid-90s, early 90s, where they said, uh, what would you like on your tombstone? And then they'd give their comedic last words. Lloyd remembers. Last words are important. And Jesus' last words were about us receiving the invitation to follow him. Now, this invitation here in Revelation 22 comes in many different ways. So I want to look at many ways today. It might be seven, I believe, seven different ways that Jesus is inviting us to follow him. And the first one that we're going to see today is we are invited into obedience. Jesus wants us to obey him. Revelation 22, verse 6. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angels to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Verse 7, look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. We are invited here into obedience because blessed is the one who keeps the words of the Bible. Blessed is the one who obeys the words of the Bible. The phrase, he who keeps, in the original language is toreo. And this means to attend to carefully, to take care of it, to guard. As we live out our day, we are to pay careful attention to him. So I ask you, do you pay careful attention to him as you interact throughout your day? I believe most of us were here, right, on Sunday. I, I know most of the people within this room. And what I think most of the people in this room do is everything we do, we have God within our mind. But sometimes what we end up doing is we have God in our mind, and, and we really don't care what he thinks, right? Anyone ever made a decision where you're like, I'm making this decision whether you approve of it or not? I remember, remember several years ago, um, Macy and I were driving our original cars from high school, and it's like, <laughs> we finally got enough money to buy a different vehicle. And, um, and it wasn't a new vehicle, it was just a different vehicle. And we were just so set on um, moving up a couple years and keeping our payment the same. Anyone ever seen that commercial? 
And what this meant was is we were going to have a couple years newer vehicle, and we weren't going to have a payment. We had to pay for it, but we were able to pay cash for this. So we went and test drove it, and we loved it, and we're like, this thing doesn't smell hot. It doesn't um, shift weird. The windows go down. The wipers work. The AC's cold. So we bought it. And then afterwards, it's like, well, we didn't even ask God about it. And then I'm like, well, I didn't ask God about it because I didn't care what he thought. I was buying the vehicle. So we consider him, but are we carefully considering God in every action that we take? That's the one, he who keeps in the original language. Blessed are the ones who keep the words of this prophecy. So blessed are we who carefully pay attention and carefully are mindful of his presence each day. Each move that we make, each action that we take, each thought that we have, we consider him. Now, I think for the church, what's interesting is this, is the church is caught in between thinking and doing. And where we think that we're better than the world is we think, now, there is an aspect that, yeah, you shouldn't do it, right? But we think because we don't do it that our hearts are in a better position than someone who did it, right? So often where we get caught is we think that just because we're thinking about it, it doesn't mean that it's a sin against God. But what Jesus even says is he says, hey, look, adultery isn't just committing the act. What is adultery? Looking after someone with lust. Murder isn't just murdering someone. But what is murder? Having anger and hate towards someone. So Jesus says, hey, look, sin isn't just a matter of the action. Sin is a matter of the heart and the mind. And where we get stuck as the church, um, as a, not just this church, but just, I believe, biblical people, is we think that just because we're, in the battle in the mind is good. I'm not saying we're bad people because we battle it in the mind. But some of us do not battle it in the mind. Some of us do not take captive every thought that comes through our mind. And to carefully consider following the Spirit in every move and every step means that we carefully consider and take captive every thought that comes to our mind. And this careful consideration reminds me of a, um, another scripture in the Bible. It's always been interesting to me that after Jesus was baptized, and many of you, if not all of you, are familiar with the story. After Jesus was baptized, a dove came from heaven, right? And it landed on his shoulder. Matthew 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. He saw a, the Spirit descending like a dove. This dove then lands on him. Now what's interesting about doves is this. Is it's said that doves are some of the flightiest birds. Any of you guys ever had a pet dove? 
I've actually seen a couple videos of doves having leashes on them and being walked. <laughs> True story. It's weird. Hey, people do some weird stuff nowadays. But it's said that um, if you today at lunch go search um, the flightiest birds or can you tame a dove or just what are doves' personalities, what you're going to see is doves are some of the flightiest birds ever. So it's made me um, wonder. It's made me think, right? I've heard other people postulate on this as well. But it's made me wonder, why was it a dove? Why did the spirit ascend onto Jesus like a dove? Of all the birds that God could have used, of all the birds that God could have used, why did he use a dove? Why didn't he use a squirrel or a parakeet? I mean, why did, why did he use a dove? What is it? And it's possible that God used a dove because he wanted us to get to this point of doves are flighty. So if a dove was to land on my shoulder today and be sitting there, because I know that it is flighty, because I know that it's fearful, what is my interaction going to be? going to walk around carefully in consideration of the dove, right? Every step that I take, every move that I make, is going to be considering the dove. Why? Because if I don't, it's going to fly off. What Jesus is inviting you and I into at the end of the book of Revelation is obedience to him with um, consideration and concern for every move that we make as if the dove is here. So what that means is I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about the one who is humbly and carefully desiring to obey God in everything. In everything, the speed that I drive, the way that I interact with people at work, the way that I think about people at work, the thoughts that come to my mind, the way that I utilize my money, the actions that I take, the words that I use. What God is asking us here at the end of the book of Revelation is to consider him, to consider him, to consider him. Careful attention. Because the church, we, we have an umbrella as believers that we want to follow him. And what he's asking us here very intentionally is be more acute with it. Be more intentional about it. How many of us, by raise of hands, because we're a participating church, could be more intentional about the spirit of God in our life? My hand is raised. Revelation 22 is telling us that Jesus is coming quickly. That's important. He's coming soon. Not only does the Bible say it, but I agree with it because the Bible says it. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming quickly. And when he comes, he's going to bring each man's reward. 
That's what this section we just read is telling us. So what that means is Jesus' coming should serve as a great motivator for our godly living today. Jesus is coming. Jesus coming quickly. Jesus returning soon, whatever that means, right? A day is like a thousand years to God. Or a thousand years is like a day. But because Jesus is coming quickly, because he's coming soon, that means that I, that should be my motivator to pay attention to the dove. To follow the spirit. To make sure that my thoughts and my actions and my words are not pushing him away. Amen? Now this has been shared multiple times with us in the book of Revelation. But Revelation 1.3 says this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. What is written in it, because the time is near. What is also shared in other Gospels, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Luke eleven twenty seven through 28. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So this idea of obedience that he's invited us into is we have the opportunity to be more blessed than the mother of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? What a blessing. What a blessing it would be as a woman. I never would have wanted to have the child, right? You can't do that. No matter how much people think that men can have children today, there's two genders. What you were born with, amen? I thought I'd be preaching to this church, but y'all are sleeping this morning. Should I say, there are two genders. Come on, somebody. All right. Now we're alive. Can you imagine the favor, the spirit overshadowed, covered Mary, right? And not only did the spirit overshadow her, God found favor on her life. Could you imagine finding that type of favor in your life that God said, hey, woman, you were chosen to have the Savior of the universe. The Savior of the universe. And then you think about Joseph, right? What a blessing for him. Because Joseph was then chosen to be the father. But what this scripture is telling us is this. Is you and I can have more favor or more blessing than Mary if we do what? Listen and obey him. So you say, I want the who wants the blessing of Mary? I should, if I was a good speaker, I would have asked that question first because we all would have said, I want that blessing. But now that I say, you can be more blessed than Mary if you listen and obey. Some of you are like, I don't want it. I'm not talking prosperity here. There is better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. 
So the blessing I'm talking about is not necessarily healing, not necessarily bigger houses, better cars, more land. What I'm talking about is the blessing of walking in his presence and being worried about absolutely nothing. Better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. So those who listen and obey the words of God can walk in this blessing. We know that we are living in a time when the inspired word of God is being trampled. The world now simply wants to demean and degrade his words. Yet Jesus, in every moment of his life, in every phase of his ministry, was careful to perfectly honor the word of God and submit to it. And because the world is demeaning and degrading the word of God, you know what our response often is to that? Point the finger and get on Facebook and tell them that they're demeaning and belittling and not following the word of God. That should not be the church's response. Sometimes we have to call out evil. Fine, I'm fine with that. Call out evil. But our response should be, when we see the world going to hell in a handbasket, what's our response? To make sure that I'm obeying him and following him and being careful to listen to him every moment of every day. Because maybe God has provided some Esters during this season and we're too worried about our post on Facebook than we are hearing him. Maybe God's provided some Mordecai's during this season, but we're too worried about the guy who pulled out in front of, of us and cut us off. See, we have to be in careful consideration of the Spirit because his voice isn't in the storm. It isn't in the wind. It wasn't in the fire. It wasn't in the earthquake. Or it, it was in the still, small voice. So for us to hear the still, small voice of God, what do we need to do? Be in tune with him. Consider the dove. Consider the dove in every moment with every breath. And for those of you guys know, I had shoulder surgery back in 2019. I just realized that I have a perch right here <laughs> for the dove to sit on. <laughs> So come, Holy Spirit, come. We're just right here, baby. We are to strive just like Jesus did to obey Jesus. Or we are to strive like Jesus did to obey God in every season and everything that we do. Amen. So the first thing we see of Jesus' last words is we are invited into obedience. Let's move on. The next thing, we are invited into worship. Of God alone. Verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your God. Sorry. And with your fellow prophets 
with all who keep the words of this scroll, worship God. That's what we're to do. And this is the second time in the book of Revelation that John has fell on his face or fell down to worship an angel. It's also the second time that John was told to stand up and to worship God alone. This is a reminder of our invitation to worship God. This is a reminder that created things are not to be worshiped. Angels were created. Cars are created. Houses are created. Money is created. We are not to worship created things. Even if God created them. God created humans. We're not to worship them. We're not to idolize them. What are we to worship? The thing that was never created. The thing that has always been and will always be. We worship God alone. Amen. Remember, our true act of worship, according to Romans 12.1, is offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Worship isn't just something you claim, um, claim with friends or on Facebook. Christianity and worship goes much deeper, that we offer our bodies as a holy or pleasing and holy sacrifice unto him, which goes back into considering him. The next thing we are invited into is we are invited, invited to teach his word. Verse 10, then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of the scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. So John is told to not seal up these words. But what's interesting, if you're familiar with uh, Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel is told to seal up the words of the prophecy. So Daniel 12.4, um, just obviously a snippet of it. But you, Daniel, roll up the seal, you roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. So why was it that Daniel was told to seal them up, but then now, at the end of the book, told not to seal them up, right? Well, Revelation 22.10 um, is this. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of the scroll because the time is near. There's our answer. In uh, one word, why um, John is told not to seal them up is timing. The timing was different. Daniel was told to seal up the vision because it referred to a far-off future. It was bare minimum 500 years away. But John's vision has come after the resurrection of Christ. That means that the imminency or the return of Jesus can happen now. Right? So the second coming of Jesus was not imminent in Daniel's day because the first coming had not happened. So the heart of what I'm getting at in this point is this. 
is because the time is near for all of us, it could be one heartbeat away. And because of that, we must not be silent of God's word. We can't be silent about God's word. We can't be disobedient and not sharing the word. We can't be indifferent about sharing the word. We can't possess laziness or we can't neglect it. We must preach it and teach it and continually be faithful to it. The time is coming when the opportunity to respond to the gospel and the word of God will be no more. And all hell will await those who do not know Jesus. How do we combat a world that doesn't value the word of God? Teach it. You love them. You preach it. You disciple them. You care for them. You invest into their lives. If Jesus felt like the model of discipleship was to invite a friend to church, we would have seen him throughout scripture inviting people to the temple a whole lot more. But I'm not sure that the church is even inviting many of their friends or co-workers to church. The example that Jesus set throughout scripture for teaching the word was sometimes there was big gatherings, right? The Mountain of Olives, we saw him just preaching and then the fish and the loaves, right? We saw him preaching to thousands and many people would follow him. Was it evangelism? Was it discipleship? Maybe it was both. But the main thing, the main place that we saw Jesus invest was in 12 people's lives. Each day, everything that he did, peeling potatoes, right? Washing feet, doing some carpenter work, walking on water, just simple things, right? Jesus was investing into the people's lives that God had ordained for him to invest into. Could you imagine if Jesus said this? Hey, with these 12 disciples, I'm going to play the long game. How many of you guys are playing the long game in your friend's life? You know, right now is not the timing. Look, I'm not asking you, and I don't think Scripture is asking us to just go and beat people up with the Bible. But what Jesus would often talk about was the love of the Father and how in love with the Father he was and how good of a Father he had and how good of a Father you and I can have if we would just choose to follow him. So I'm not asking you to just go tell people, hey, look, God is... God is mad at you for your sin. God hates you. You're going to hell. Like that's, that's what keeps us from sharing with our friends because we think that's what they hear. How about we just love them and then teach them some scriptures that we really appreciate. Hey, this is my favorite, this is my, this is my favorite verse. And just let them know how, how Jesus has changed your life. Because if you actually love these people, there's a chance that they could go to hell. I think many of us in this room love Mechanicsburg. Others of us love West Liberty. 
and Catawba and West Jefferson and Columbus and Dublin and Fairborn and Springfield and Urbana and Irwin and Plain City. I'm trying to think, who have I missed? Uh, Cable and Woodstock and North Lewisburg. Um, you got to say them all so I don't offend someone, right? Marysville. Christiansburg. The list goes on, right? We love these people, do we not? You probably love some people who you work with that you've never even brought up Jesus to. These people might go to hell one day. And Jesus' last words is encouraging us, hey, obey me, walk with me closely, share my word, preach my word. So we are invited to teach his word. We are invited to follow the will of God. Verse 12, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their feet. Sorry, who wash their robes. Also, who wash their feet. <laughs> it's summer, boy. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. We have received the third warning within today's teaching that Jesus is coming soon. Do you hear that? Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. So why is that being presented so many times? Because he wants us to be ready. And to a certain degree, we have to face the fact that if we get disappointed that Jesus is returning soon, our treasure might be in the wrong place. Where your treasure is, there your heart will go also. And if we're disappointed that he might return, what that means is that our treasure might be here on earth. I'm not saying for everyone, but we have to ask ourselves those questions. If Jesus returned today, why would I be disappointed? Oh, because I didn't get a retire? Oh, because I didn't get a vote? Oh, because I didn't get to get married? Well, guess what? Next week, we're going to talk about that. Because you might not be married in heaven anyways. Or it might just be like, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Bob knows. So we've received the third warning. He's coming soon. But when Jesus comes, he will bring his reward. That's exciting. That's something to look forward to, that when he returns, he's bringing something, and he's bringing something for you and I. Isaiah 40.10. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him. His reward is with him. 
Jesus is going to repay everyone according to what he ha- what we have done. Jesus is going to repay everyone for what they have done in reward. Jeremiah 17:10 I the Lord search the heart and examine the mind to remind each person so Today's bad. To reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. I, the Lord, search the heart. So not just in our actions, right? He searches the heart and he examines the mind to reward each person according to their conduct. So it's not about what you did or didn't do. Sometimes it's just about the inner person. Some people can give $40,000. Another person can give a penny. And the penny might be more than the $40,000 because God is concerned with the heart. So God is going to examine the heart of those and he's going to reward us for our hearts and our actions of surrender to him. One author shares that the reward will be spiritual blessedness to the righteous, but judgment for those who are evil. It is the quality of a person's life that provides the ultimate indication of what the person really believes. So since Jesus is coming soon, he is bringing a reward. And because the reward is exclusive to a certain group, this should motivate us to live for him every breath. God's giving us a reward. Isn't that interesting? I had a dream last night. In this dream, someone from the church bought me, and I was at a wedding feast. I was at Shambay and Haley's wedding, and like they've already been married, but I'm at this wedding, and while I'm at this wedding, a family from the church ended up um, giving me a gift. I don't mind receiving gifts, but I hate opening gifts in front of a group of people because there's a certain response that like is expected to give, right? So at Christmas, I never liked opening up gifts because it's like, hey, my sister bought me this gift and I know her well enough. I already knew what it was because I just know her well enough. And so I opened up the gift and I'm like, oh, cool. I really like it. Thank you. But then my brother's over here running around the room, doing these, spinning around. Randy's crying, right? Whatever it is. And I was like, thank you. I like it. That's just my personality. But then you feel bad because you're not responding appropriately. So in this dream, I received this gift from someone in the church, and I'm feeling the pressure to open it up in front of everyone. And I open it up, and it's this really, really, really nice ukulele. (laughs) And I'm like, well, I used to play a few chords back in, like, high school, right? Who didn't, right? What guy in high school didn't try to strum a guitar around a fire? So like in the dream, I'm like, well, I know, I know a C, I know a G, so I'm going to try to, and it just wasn't tuned right, but it was really nice. And I was at this wedding feast, and then I woke up, and I'm like, man, this thing was weird. Why did I receive a ukulele? And like, I could, um, I could start singing right now, 
and I could be okay with singing right now because we all know it's fun, right? Like, make fun of me, whatever, like, la, 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 right? Don't care. But the issue is, what about if we didn't have a worship leader? What if we had no one to lead worship and God threw something upon me to where I had to come back here? Chad's like, don't even touch it. Huh? And look how tall he is. What is this? What if I had to come? I couldn't be there. I'm more of this size. What if I had to come here? And what if I actually had to try to lead worship? Like, because if, 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 if I start to sing now, it's just a joke. Like, you know it's not going to be good. But what if I had to come up here and try to make it feel good? That's where I would be humiliated. I would be humiliated to step into something that I don't know how to do. Anyone else? Especially when it's like this. And for some of you, it's public speaking. For some of you, it's whatever, right? Whatever it could be. God searches the heart. And I feel like just through this dream, as I've been processing it the whole morning, what God was asking is, is am I willing to step into the unknown to worship him? Will you have a heart that's willing to step into something that you're fearful of, that you're afraid of, that will sing a song to him. I don't know what that is. I don't know what the next thing is for me. But what I do know is I can worship him through it. Amen? And there's many things that God is asking you and I to step into. The proverbial ukulele in our life that can bring a song to him. So the reward is following him. The reward is within our hearts that says, we love you. Nevertheless, since Jesus is coming soon, he's bringing the reward, as I already said, and because this reward is exclusive to believers, we should consider him with every move, with every breath. Verse 14 shares this, blessed are those who wash their robes. Blessed or blessed, blessed, it's really good. Blessed is better than blessed, amen? Anyone? <laughs> and God, some people think that God is better than God too. So blessed today are those who continue to follow the will of the Father. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Blessed are those who, when they get dirty, they go back to the Father. Blessed are those who keep on going back to him and back to him and back to him. See, the blessing we see here is for those who continue to love and obey God, those who wash their robes. This is an action, an imperative that you and I are supposed to take to keep on going back to him and washing our robes. This isn't a salvation issue that's being talked about here. It's just a renewal. It's a sanctification. God, I messed up this week. God, my thought process was poor today. God, I was frustrated. I was anger. I was bitter. And we go back to him and we say, we're washing our robes. We're washing our robes. We're making ourselves pure and clean in you once again. It reminds me of John 13, 10. Jesus answered, those 
who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. So what he's saying here is, look, if, if, if you've received my eternal life, if you are saved, you're washed clean. But sometimes you just got to wash those little piggies, right? Sometimes you just got to you got to vent because you were bitter this week. You got to you got to you got to get it out. You got to repent of your sins and you got to wash some of these things that are not supposed to be there off. God, I'm sorry that I did this this week. I'm going to purify myself in your blood once again. Our blessing does not come from just knowing the things of God, but from doing the things of God. John 13:15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus said that if we love him, then we will keep his commandments. When we neglect to keep his commandments, when we neglect to continue in his ways, we demonstrate our lack of love for him. And that's why John tell, or sorry, James tells us in James 1, 21 through 24, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. This is us cleansing ourselves. This is us washing our feet. This is us purifying our robes, right? This is what he's telling us. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away immediately and forgets what he looks like. That is pretty bad, isn't it? To continue in his way, we must get rid of everything that keeps us from loving him. Are we willing to get rid of everything that keeps us from loving him today. Um, maybe I had greater understanding. Maybe God was putting it on my heart this morning during our prayer group. A lot of good things happen. You know, that's not a small group of people. That's not an exclusive group. It's open to the whole church. About 9.15, typically we shoot for 9, but Macy and I are always late. So 9.15, 9.10, to about 9.57 to 10.05, Carissa. <laughs> We're praying. But today, one of the things that came up while we were praying was this idea of we've had some really powerful worship service services over the past several months here. Amen? Just remember the first time um, Chad was, uh, came up on the worship team. And we had that ambient guitar playing and just God powerfully moved and then a week after he powerfully moved and several weeks even before that in February or in February we had many people responding at the altar it's just been God's been moving powerfully and then I was reminded even this morning of Mark Miller's uh, word that he shared with us a couple months ago where he said hey look this is God's grace respond and repent while it's easy and then this morning I was reminded of scripture where it says it's God's kindness that intends to lead us to repentance. 
And you know when God shows up the way that he's shown up in worship over the past year, that's his kindness, is it not? When he shows up the way that he shows up, it's his kindness. It's his goodness. It's his mercy. It's his grace. And what's interesting is what scripture tells us is it's his kindness, it's his goodness that intends to lead us to repentance. When God shows up in this powerful way on Sunday mornings during worship, on Monday mornings at home when we're honoring him, throughout the week at small group, when his kindness shows up, what is, his, what is the intention of his kindness? To lead us to greater purification in him. It's intending to lead us to repentance. And I just rhetorically ask you the question, I wonder if during some of these worship services when he's shown up with his kindness, if we've washed ourselves or not. Have we purified ourselves? Have we repented? Have we turned to him? Have we said, God, I want to get rid of everything that, that's keeping me from loving you? We don't want to miss it. Where that verse has been poorly taught in the past is it was, it was God's kindness that leads us to repentance. A key word has been taken out of sermons that I've listened to in the past. God's kindness doesn't lead us to repentance. It intends to lead us there. And the word intends means that you and I have a choice. Amen? One thing that God cannot do is step on our free will. So what James is telling us, what God is inviting us into, is to follow him, to follow his will. And part of following his will is to cleanse ourselves daily, to purify ourselves, to get rid of the dirt to continue in being faithful. And yeah, so to continue in his way, we must get rid of everything that keeps us from loving him. Those who are faithful in following the lamb are promised access, the right to the tree of life, as well as access to the holy city, the new Jerusalem, for the rest of eternity. We want access to the lamb. Yet those who do not follow the lamb, those who do not follow Jesus, those who are not covered by the blood are promised life in hell. They are those, verse 15, they're the ones on the outside. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves the practice of falsehood. Those are the people on the outside. And what God is inviting us into is to follow him and to purify, purify ourselves from those things, not within our own power, but to agree with him, God, I messed up this week. I have, I have been just following my own will. I've been following my own life. And I want to give those things up to you. I want to be pure, purified again. Amen? Sometimes, look, I'm not talking about a salvation issue, but I'm also talking about a salvation issue, right? I'm not saying every week we need to get saved again. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that as believers, 
as people who are saved, it doesn't stop with just getting saved. There's more that God wants us to be purified in. Nevertheless, moving on, we are invited to respond to God. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit of the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Verse 17 contains the great invitation of the book of Revelation. It's actually probably the great invitation of the whole Bible. Jesus inviting you and I to come to him. It is a multifaceted invitation to all people to be saved. All who desire eternal life are invited to come and be saved without price. All other religions have some kind of price you have to pay. Good merit, good works, adding to the Bible, subtracting from it. There's always something else. But when it comes to Christianity, we can be saved without price, without paying for anything. Now, the interesting piece about that is we don't pay for anything, but we surrender everything. Amen? You give up the whole right to your life. But, but as I said earlier, Isaiah 55, come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. An invitation to follow him because Jesus paid for it all. John 3, 37. On the, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Let anyone come to me who is thirsty drink. One author says this. To my mind, the gravity of this invitation lies partly in the fact that it is placed at the very end of the Bible and placed there because it is the sum and substance, the aim and the objective of the whole Bible. It is like the point of the arrow and all the rest of the Bible is like the shaft and the feathers on either side of it. We may say, we may say um, of the scriptures what John said of his gospel. These are written. All these books that are gathered together into the library called the Bible. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you might have life through his name so that as you are concerned, this blessed book has missed its purpose unless you have been led by it to come to Christ. It is all in vain that you have a Bible or read your Bible 
unless you really take the water of life of which it, of which it speaks. It is worse than vain, for if it is not a savior of life un, unto you, it shall be a savior of death unto death. Therefore, it seems to me that this is a very solemn invitation because all the books in the Bible, in effect, cry to sinners, come to Jesus. Jesus is inviting you and I to respond to his invitation to follow him. The church does not feel the weight of that invitation anymore because the church is comparing themselves to the world. Our sense of holiness and the way that we are measured is not measured in comparison to another human being. Our holiness is compared to the one true perfect God. Amen? But the reason why the church is not feeling the weight of their dirtiness is because we say, well, I know what gender I am. I'm not an alcoholic. I don't do drugs. I'm this or I'm that. No, we're a sinner. We compare our holiness to him. And when I compare my holiness to him, what do I have to say? I have nothing. I need more of you. So quit comparing yourself to the world and justifying that you don't need to repent or purify yourself. So we're invited to respond to him. Come to him. Many of us, all of us, need to come to him today. We got two more points. We're invited to listen to God's warning. Verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this uh, scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. The book of Revelation was not written just to the seven churches of Asia Minor. The book of Revelation was written to anyone with ears. This book was inspired by God. And not only was the book of Revelation inspired by God, the whole Bible was inspired by God. So what God does is God makes this plain. He makes it really plain. He says, don't mess with this book. Don't change it. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. Don't tamper with it. Don't even think about it. If you try to change the Bible, there's a warning, right? What's the warning? You will receive the wrath of God in these plagues by which you read in it. I don't want any of those plagues, amen? There's this idea that we know what tomorrow brings, right? We don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what the next hour brings. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I'm always going to stick to the Bible. I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to change with culture. 
as far as I'm in control, that's going to be who we are. Amen. The Bible. We don't have to agree with it. We don't have to like it, which I like it and I agree with it. But as far as we are concerned here at MCF, we're going to follow the Bible, no matter what culture says. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we're going to follow it. We're not going to add to it. We're not going to subtract from it. We're not going to change it for the sake of culture. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what's really sad is we know it to be true, and it's truth that will set you free. And if we start adapting the Bible with culture, then no one ever is going to be set free. It's these living, true words of the Bible that will bring life. We're not going to change it. But an example, maybe a more defined example of people changing the Bible would be certain cults or sects of believers, right, that add extra material or take stuff out. For example, we have the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon has been added. So um, why is it important that we don't mess with the Bible? Um, There's many reasons. But I really want you to think about this first point, why we don't add to the Bible. These are God's words. Let that sink in a minute. The Bible that you're holding, these are God's words. We don't mess with God's words. Number two, these words are understandable to those who read it, and it can be made plain to them. You're like, well, I don't understand the Bible. Join the small group. Keep coming on Sunday. Keep reading. Ask God to help you understand. You will understand it. Number three, the primary source by which man can understand the requirements of God are through his word. That's why we don't change it. Number four, the Bible is a reliable source of understanding how to receive eternal life. So we do not change the words of God because these things are true. We don't add to it. We don't subtract from it. Um, Yeah, people have asked me about other, um, other books, right? that talk about biblical times. Um, I've read some of them. I think it's interesting. I will never preach from something that's not in the 66 books. I won't do it. There's things that are interesting, right? I'm not gonna preach from these books. I'm not gonna preach ideas from these books. Will not, cannot. I don't wanna add. I have faith. I have faith that God has sustained the truth since the beginning to now. I believe it. Um, If he sent his son, he's going to sustain his words. So the word that we have is his. But there's also other sects that have added certain things. Either way, the last point of the book of Revelation. How many are happy? I figured you'd be clapping, standing up, running around, hooting and hollering. You guys remember the song, I'm free to run, I'm free to dance. Um, 
I figured you'd be having tambourines. The last point that we make out of the book of Revelation. We are invited to await his return. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus will be with God's people. Amen. Revelation and the Bible are at their end. One last time, the Lamb, our Lord, Jesus Christ, speaks. And his last words are brief. What is it? I'm coming soon. He's coming soon. And that can preach too. He's coming soon to your crisis. He's coming soon to your hurt. He's coming soon to your success. Jesus is coming as a redeemer, and he's coming soon. 2 Peter 3, 3 through 9 says this. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. We see that today. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as if it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago God's word, that so long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and the earth reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is, a, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish everyone to come to repentance. Jesus is returning and even though the world may mock it, it's going to happen. We see the world mocking it today. You and I are supposed to eagerly await his return. We are invited, invited into anticipating his return. Considering him each moment of each day as we long for his return. So the questions I have for you after studying the book of Revelation is this. Will you reach out to take the promises which God gives the overcomer through this book? Will you reach out to him for that? Will you become one who believes in him if you haven't? Will you follow him? Will you forsake all else? Will you respond in faith to the open invitation to partake of the living waters freely given? Will you be among those who are kept from the hour of trial which is to come upon the whole earth? Will you love the appearing of Jesus? Will you love the return of Christ? Will you say with the rest of the saints, even so, 
come, Lord Jesus. Or, 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 right? Will you remain among the skeptics? The sophisticated, right? The independent. The self-sufficient Babylonian spirited who have no need for God and just assume that he doesn't exist. Will you be them? Will you continue in that Babylonian spirit? Have you already hardened your heart beyond the point of return that you will be the one destined to stand before God at the great uh, white throne whose name is missing out of the book of life? Who are you today? Who do you... Who do you want to be today? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And you know what's funny? When I, I haven't looked up yet, but you guys, your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Whenever I pastors ask this question, and I, look, you don't have to. We're only doing this because we just want people to feel private and comfortable in this room. So it's not like you have to, I say jump and you say how high. I just want to create a space to where people feel comfortable to respond. Father, I pray that you will put on our hearts during this moment to respond to you. Some of us need to wash our robes. Others of us need to give our lives to you for the first time to say I'm going to forsake all else to follow you so I just ask is there anyone in here today who just feels the call that hey God you are by raise of hands eyes are closed of course God you're calling me to wash my robe today you're calling me to wash my robe just raise those hands amen I see hands raised amen my hands raised Amen. Well, let's pray for those hands. Father, those who raised our hands and those who want to raise our hands, Father, you're not concerned with the outside. You're concerned with the heart. So, Father, um, may we forsake all else today. May we wash our robes, purify us, help us take captive every thought, Father. Forgive us where we have wronged you unintentionally and intentionally, Father. I pray that we wouldn't be like the man who says, let me bury my father, let me settle my farm. But Father, we will follow you today. Right now, we get rid of those things. Father, help us get rid of those things right now just to give them to you. Today is the day we give them to you. I just want to know is there anyone else in the room who's never, never really said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you for the first time? Like maybe you've done it for your parents. Maybe you um, always been dragged to church. But you feel God saying, I want you to make the decision today for yourself. 
Is there anyone in here by raising your hand that you want to make the decision for yourself to follow him? Let's pray. Father, you are good. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the sobering last words of your son. Help us truly give these things over to you. Purify us, cleanse us, help us wash our robes. Father, help us follow you like you are a dove sitting on our shoulder. In Jesus' name, amen.